For fantasy franchises, 2022 was a rough year. From Middle-earth madness to not-so-secret Disney agendas to yet another creative disaster threatening to destroy the DC multiverse, fans have gone through some drastic changes in the last year. What were the top threats to fantasy fandoms in 2022? And how can Christians grieve after corporations seem to destroy the best fictional worlds? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth. We have survived. We're the podcast from lorehaven.com that explores fantastical stories for God's glory and applies their meanings to the real world. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher, co-author of The Pop Culture Parent, and right now a DC fan in the grieving process. I will admit this. And I'm Zachary Russell, the not-so-secret co-host and audio engineer of the podcast. And this is episode 144 which top six fantasy franchises gave fans grief in 2022? Zach, I'm glad you're back from your holiday travels, conferencing, vacationing, Christmasing, all the other ings. I've been doing a few of those things, but I'm also grieving over the loss of some of these stories that just seem to be floundering after a difficult year, creative-wise and corporation-wise. We don't talk about a lot of pop culture on Fantastical Truth. That's probably my first concession here. But every once in a while, we want to go over the general market stuff and say, what's going on? What's gotten into these companies? Why are they ruining everything? But then try to respond to this in hopefully a more biblical and healing fashion uh, than some of the more ranty YouTube videos that just uh, say, woke Hollywood is out to destroy all the good things. Yeah, so we actually got to enjoy a white Christmas up in Colorado, and we did a very Christmassy thing and watched a Christmas carol, but the Muppets version, after you and several of my friends recommended that, and that was great. And it's just kind of fun to go back to a classic movie that's sort of time-tested and been around for a while and that the whole family can enjoy. Uh, but we also took the uh, the older kids and cousins to the new Avatar movie, which was a uh, you know, a pleasant surprise after a lot of the uh, negative fandom stuff. We'll talk about it, and maybe we'll we'll get into Avatar a little bit towards the end. Uh, but Christmas was a lot of fun, and you know, I I I mostly go to get older stories from used bookstores because I think there's something that's wrong that's happened to a lot of general market fiction the last couple of years. But there, again, there are some good things there too. I think I saw that Avatar had actually eclipsed uh, the total set uh, by the Tom Cruise uh, Top Gun Maverick uh, this summer. So props to James Cameron for sticking to his guns, except I forgot guns are evil. Uh, <laughs> and instead, it's better to talk to the trees and swim with whales and things. I've not seen Avatar. I have no plans to see Avatar. I'm just agnostic about that franchise. But I'm glad you all enjoyed it. Uh, apparently, uh, millions of other fans are doing the same. Uh, even after a lot of negativity, I saw that after, you know, what was it, 15 years after, no, what is it, however many years it's been, this 2009, yeah, almost. almost almost 14 years, like, oh, it's a, it's a dead franchise, like, it's not going to work now. Well, obviously, when you have access to that level of technology, uh, you can keep the faces looking smooth. <laughs> Actors mm -hmm. can just get as old as they need to, so long as they can bandy about in a mocap suit, uh, you can still keep that franchise alive. There's a few dead franchises or dying ones or franchises on life support we will talk about uh, going forward. Uh, I'm glad y'all got to see Muppet uh, Christmas Carol too. I must say when my wife and I uh, went to watch it, uh, we kind of felt like Southern Baptist sneaking into the liquor store. Uh, we no longer subscribe to Disney Plus, but we did want to see that. Uh, we got in there, we saw Muppet Christmas Carol, we watched the version uh, with the song put back in 
Uh, I was not original part of that fandom, so I'm kind of watching it from the outside, but I love the Muppets and I have for a long time. Uh, and it was enjoyable. Uh, it's still still a yeah. great movie. And that's a good way to start out, Zach, with some positivity about some uh, popular culture fantasies. Yeah, because we don't want to be just negative. We're not going to rant the whole time. But there's frankly just a lot of weird decisions going on that make us look askance and go, what? What are you doing? Why? Like, I know that makes me sad. That makes me angry. That makes me bargain. Yeah. That makes me go through the other stages. What, what do I do about this? <laughs> you know, and it, it's just so funny to, to watch a movie that was intentionally... Yeah, offbeat, weird, silly, and uh, but I saw a great meme about this that said the reason the Muppets Christmas Carol works so well is that Michael Caine considered the Muppets as just ordinary actors, and the reason Tim Burton always works well is because he considers himself a Muppet. And uh, you know, Stephen, I, I realized I sort of failed as a parent though because this was the first Muppets anything I that my kids you. have ever watched. I gotta stop you, it's Tim Curry. Oh, sorry, Tim, Tim Curry. Tim Thank Curry, you. I know, yes. but he he may have been in a Tim Burton movie, but no, it's Tim Curry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I I couldn't believe myself that this was the first Muppets movie I'd ever shown to my kids, and I, I don't know the last time I watched the Muppets, but I think there should be a Muppets version of everything instead of doing reboots or sequels or prequels. Let's just have Muppet versions of uh, movies. Like it, it can't be any worse than you know all these weird spinoffs. Like I didn't need the Obi Wan spinoff, which we'll talk about, but how about an Obi Wan? Or a Star Wars Muppets. I, that would just be amazing. <laughs> so we obviously need a Muppets version of James Cameron's Avatar, Avatar The yeah. Way of Water. By the Avatar. way, I pronounce it Avatar to distinguish yeah. it from uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, which <laughs> shouldn't have the proper uh, claim to the title. Except they, I, I saw they actually had to affix uh, The Last Airbender because even though they were first, uh, Cameron had been working on Avatar for so long, he had all the trademarks locked down. Mm. So that's a concession about the title. Let's uh, get a few other concessions here. I hope the Christmas candy isn't too stale. Uh, we're still working on our Christmas ham, uh, turning it into paninis uh, in the fridge. Concession stand, uh, as usual, uh, as I said, we try to limit our popular culture criticism at Lorehaven. Uh, we'd rather shine light on fantastical, uh, excellent stories by Christian authors but we're not going to set ourselves apart from the world and act like all our stories are always better. They're not. Uh, for one thing, I don't think there's any uh, Christian-made story that's ever earned $1.5 billion worldwide at the box office in just Passion a couple of weeks. Passion of the Christ, maybe, or close? Uh, not $1.5 billion. No, uh, I 1. think I, it was a very high-earning R-rated movie until Deadpool, but <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I don't keep track of the Billion Club and all that. I, I think some of the horse race stuff about movies is is kind of tacky and gross and it devalues uh, the 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 value of the art and it's probably outdated too very few movies are going to hit that uh, after all the lockdown stuff i think i saw the box office uh, ticket sells our ticket audience are down 50 percent in 2022 i just think the whole industry seems to have shot itself in both feet in yeah. its uh, craven rush to put everything on streaming that was so stupid yeah james um, cameron seems surprised that his movie was profitable even at however many yeah billion right. and a half and it took that much to be profitable yeah it's just, it's going to be a lot more selective now I, I think we're out of the days where every superhero movie can reasonably expect to get that high so that may be one reason why some of these uh fictional universes are falling apart and they're just running out of money uh the bubble is bursting maybe uh and i i'm going to suggest here that yeah it's it's legit to feel a sense of grief uh, when these stories fall apart um i certainly went through that over the last few weeks in uh, december even though of course i'm going to fight for it maybe that's part of the grief process i don't know i'll talk about that later in this show uh, but i know that uh, that's certainly not the worst kind of grief that someone could suffer the holiday season so if that's you if you just got their really difficult christmas and you're kind of turned off by a discussion about grieving over lost fantasy franchises well uh, this is definitely a lesser grief definitely a lesser grief just in case that is you 
Uh, some of this, too, involves on political uh, issues, especially when we talk about Disney and boycotts and not-so-secret agendas and the like, uh, similar to our last episode, 143, about the top 10 Lore Haven stories. We'll be careful about those. As always, uh, people may call issues political when they're actually more about moral struggles, and that is perfectly within uh, the Lore Haven mission of exploring those kinds of stories uh, with an eye towards Scripture, based on Scripture. Uh, we're also going to build on uh, an episode I recorded by myself, actually, 122, back in July. Another time, uh, Zach was on the road, leaving me alone in the studio. Uh, that episode was more about fans healing after their franchises blew up. Uh, here, I think we're just going to survey which ones have left debris scattered all over uh, the fandom planes, uh, and uh, only a little uh, touch, only a little on the grief process there. Uh, just more sharing out loud what that feels like. Um, definitely, definitely wanting to heal from that. Uh, but it, part of it is just sharing what you're feeling at the moment. I'll try to discipline myself, by the way, uh, because as I mentioned, Zach, uh, I, I got I got whacked by this uh, just a few weeks ago when some terrible news came out on the on the DC front. We are all in uproar. Uh, and we're strategizing and finding other ways to cope. But right now, it's just all mad all the time. Everybody's mad at each other. Zach, it's almost worse than Star Wars over here in DC fandom land. But we'll we'll share about that in a little bit. First, we're going to share about Star Wars and some other stuff. But before that, we're going to share about our top sponsor for this episode. It is, once again, Enclave Publishing. Uh, there are sponsors now uh, going forward in this slot. And their next book coming out on this week, I think, the week of this episode's release, Tuesday, January 10th, is The Arrival of Silver Bounty by Victoria McCombs. Uh, check out the cover and the links in the top of our show notes. It's got a great cover. It is book two of the Royal Rose Chronicles Pirate Fantasy. Yar. Here's the description. Emmy is tasked with getting rid of the king, but kings are not an easy target, and this one is bent on purging his lands of pirates. As Emmy's job becomes increasingly dangerous, she learns to survive the pirate way. Cunning and merciless, while consoling herself with one fact, she's just doing what it takes to get home. But when Emmy mistakenly takes out the wrong man, not even the protective pirate captain can save her from the consequences in a string of betrayals, one thing is certain. You can never trust a pirate. That Silver Bounty by Victoria McCombs just released from Enclave Publishing. Book two of the Royal Rose Chronicles available in hardcover, audio CD. Get links to the various places you can get that and more information, including a link to our new review of Silver Bounty in our show notes for episode 144 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, I might do the next read for an ad like that in the pirate voice. Uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> That's a fantasy franchise that may not fail you, folks. Uh, even though it's pirates that'll fail you, uh, some franchises uh, often feel the same way. So if you're ready, Zach, we'll go to chapter one of our discussion, which I have titled Fantasy Streaming Keeps Crossing the Fans. And I'm in uh, dangerous waters here, sailing into dangerous waters. Uh, because these are shows that I don't keep track of and really don't care about. The Witcher and Willow. Uh, now, Zach, you're the 80s movie guy. Did you ever see this original movie, Willow, with Warwick oh, Davis? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, all right. man, I, I love that, along That's with all, all the other weird 80s fantasy. Yeah, you know, so this just came out, right? And we decided to... It's a sequel to, series uh, on Disney+, Plus, starring Warwick Davis and you know, yeah. some people of various identities, from I what mean, I've heard. The, the, the poster looks absolutely amazing. The advertising looked great. 
Uh, it happened to come out right as we are downgrading and then canceling our Disney subscription. We went down. There to the, you go. Now you're a real serious Christian. Yeah. Good. Well, we were paying annually and they jacked up the price big of time. Of course, because they're losing money on the streaming oh, service. It's huge, a giant time. bubble. Yeah. So then we went down to the month by month, but we, we, we kept the same like monthly price, but now that price is the ad supported and we tried watching a couple of shows with ads every five, 10 minutes. Oh, and we're blimey. Like, no, we, we can't do this. We were supposed to get we... away from that. We were supposed to get away from that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do and they stick can't... the ads in right in the middle of the show, even though the show is made without ad breaks? I mean, they do it pretty well. It, it's usually when there's a scene break or, or some kind of audio dip. Yeah. So after a couple episodes of ads, we're like, yeah, we're just going to cancel this entirely. And I just won't get to watch Willow, I guess. But, you know, just the other day, someone I follow on Twitter. So this is a shout out to Nikki Alexis uh, at Backstage Life. I follow her for Wheel of Time News. She says she's a Jesus lover, a movie tweeter. She watched uh, Willow and I just found her tweets about this. And her first tweet, she was so excited. She showed the poster. She's like, I think you're going to love this one too. And then like her very next tweet is the amount of junk in this show keeps kicking me out of enjoying this. Ugh, talking articulate trolls. It's different. Yeah, but I don't know, man. And then each successive tweet, she's just more and more disillusioned by it. I'm like, wow. Well, Nikki, I think you've talked me into not watching the Willow show and just keep my childhood memories intact. I think a lot of people have been feeling that way specifically about these fantasy streaming shows. I've kind of grouped these together in the first chapter. Uh, I'm not a Witcher fan. I don't watch it. One of our first ever episodes about fantastical truth. Actually, we had Jason Moorhead on talking Mm -hmm. about uh, the hazards, uh, the the problems like ethically, as well as, uh, as a Christian of watching a show that exploits its actors, uh, visual presentation, like showing them in various states of undress, you know, uh, sexualizing them. Uh, and so I've, I've avoided the show. Yes. Not even when it has uh, Henry Cavill in it, but how much more reason then is there to avoid the show now that Henry Cavill has left, uh, for various reasons that people talked about Henry Cavill, of course, uh, famous for playing Superman. And as far as I'm concerned, he is still Superman doggone it. Stick around for chapter three to watch my complete, uh, uh, explosion of, <laughs> of fan rage. Uh, but for now, I'm going to be disciplined and very Christian because I can talk about a fandom that isn't mine. But I did empathize with all the fans who are going, what? Why would The Witcher get rid of Henry Cavill? Like, I'm not going to watch this. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's uh, one, of the, one of the lesser Hemsworths now instead of him. Like, this is ridiculous. We're gone. Netflix is woke. And a lot of outrage. And by the way, we're not going to use the word woke a whole lot here if I can help it. But I think people just kind of bolt for that. Uh, it's something to say when you don't know what to say. Like, I don't know if the show is woke or not. Uh, it could be as based as uh, anybody but if you're showing naked people uh it's still a problem uh it's still a sinful show in my perspective there not my fandom i'm still sad that apparently it's declining but fans keep raging about this uh, the willow thing going on lots of people were very discouraged about that uh, there's quite a, a fandom there as you mentioned zach so i'm glad you're here to tell me about that but zach uh, at the turn of this year you actually had another um disappointment with streaming uh, we talked about that in a previous fantastical truth episode as well it was the Wheel of Time streaming before Amazon did another giant budget fantasy show. Uh, they were starting to adapt uh, the classic Robert Jordan epic fantasy. Uh, and uh, you got kicked out of chat rooms and everything over that show because <laughs> it was ridiculous how much they had changed from this uh, canon that I'm not familiar with. Uh, but it sounds like uh, similar to Rings of Power, they really messed up the male-female dynamics in that universe. 
Yeah, so the Wheel of Time adaptation of season one ended in January of 2022, and uh, fans were expecting season two to come out at the end of the year, right after Rings of Power, and it and it did not. It's going to be a few more months into 2023, and I hope for their sakes that they actually are still working on it, because you, you can go to my website, ZacharyRussell.com, where I had a detailed breakdown of every episode, and you know I made sure to to give praises for things they did well. And I just kind of wrote theories about things I thought they were going to do, but I have a whole section of what I call groans, <laughs> just groans and, and even ramblings of just like, you know, why are they doing this? Why are they breaking the, the world, the magic system, the, the lore of the show. And uh, the biggest thing they did was say, Oh, the dragon reborn might be male or female. Or it might be multiple people. It might be a they, them, I guess, or a uh, multiple personality disorder or something or some weird amalgamation of people. And it was just so odd. And, uh, you know, it's like the you, you can forgive them the little things with costuming and, and some other shortcuts, uh, combining characters or deleting characters, you know, because everything's an adaptation. But they, so many creative choices they made were so antithetical to what the story means. And, and that's just where it's, it's unforgivable. And uh, so I, I ended the series, it, kind of like that person I quoted, Nikki Alexis, I, I started off so excited and just progressively got more and more disenchanted with it. Zach, real quick, what stage of grief would you say that you are in regarding <laughs> the world breaking of the Wheel of Time, or, or Willow for that matter? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty far into this stage of grief where I've just accepted that this okay. is going to be something entirely different that I may or may not do a breakdown like I did of season two. I'm not expecting it to be anywhere near faithful to the books. I, I think the worst part of it is that the showrunner and some of the other writers are gaslighting the fans and saying, oh no, we really love the books. We really are trying oh, to stay I faithful. I hate it when they do that. Mm. And they're not. I mean, they're, they're, they've come out and said that we think some of the elements of these books are problematic. And what, once you start with that mindset that I'm going to fix what this author screwed up about, and, and again, not just, look, fans have been debating these books for decades now about how they just meander. And there were so, there was just so much filler and that so many ways that they could have been improved, but no one ever said, oh, well, we should fix this about the world. And, you know, no one had the arrogance to say that. No one wanted to like totally redo major elements of the world or the characters. And, you know, the more I've thought about it, Stephen, I, I think a lot of what this show suffered from was honestly just amateurish filmmaking that um, a, a lot of it was just not done by the top notch producers and directors. Now, the actors were great. I loved all the acting and it, it, I thought that was solid and people dogged the CGI and I, I still thought that was pretty good, but it, it was really just the storytelling and the writing that was just so horrid uh, at times. Uh, you're more the much more the videographer than I am, which is like none, but I still enjoy watching um, effects breakdowns in uh, on, on YouTube channel. Yeah. Corridor Digital in particular is a favorite. Uh, they do what they do very well. Uh, and one thing I've noticed is that th they say that it, um, I don't know if this is something that they have said actually, but something I've noticed is that people will uh, blast bad CGI uh, even when it's arguably fine, if they're yeah. not connecting with the story. Well, that right. looks fake. Like, no, like it might look fake, but did you connect with the story? 
for example, I'm going to, I'm going to say a heresy here, and that's because I'm about to criticize rings of power again. And it's only fair to apply at least some kind of criticism uh, to Peter Jackson's middle earth movies. By the way, just last night we finished watching the return of the King extended edition, the top moment in all cinema, even more than the destruction of the ring. Spoiler alert uh, is the arrival of the armies of Rohan and the fields of Pelennor absolute near second coming levels of awesomeness there it's so beautiful and so sublime and so majestic so there there's my praise now there's a few moments of dodgy vfx in the lord of the rings the return of the king which is the best of the three building on the first two it's still the best there's still some dodgy vfx there's a moment unfortunately extended edition where uh the members of the fellowship confront the mouth of sauron at the black gates of mordor uh, and there's a moment where you see Pippin, I think, uh, sitting on the horse in front of one of the taller riders, and it's so obviously not Billy Boyd. It's uh, so obviously one of his uh, little person doubles. They didn't do a face replace or hide him well enough. Uh, but I still connect with the story, and legions of fans connect with the story. We will forgive dodgy CGI if we right. love these characters, if we love this world. I'm sure that there was some great CGI in... Um, uh, wheel of time uh, or for that matter uh, rings of power but a lot of people uh, we've heard from uh, simply did not connect with that story for various reasons and i've already talked a little bit uh, about uh, an article mike duran wrote about the marketing of the show i talked about that in our last episode 143 but we'll bring it up again uh, because a lot of fans are put through the grieving process because of this show or fairly uh, because of other fans uh, criticism of the show when you know, they just wanted to enjoy a, kind of a, a, a decent uh, movie fan fiction, which is how I would describe the series. Having not seen it, but having seen plenty of clips and read all the synopsis of every episode, uh, I, I don't like what I read personally. And although it sounds like this issue with um, amateurishly made or, or uh, content compromised uh, fantasy shows is a problem across the streaming services, Willow's on Disney Plus, The Witcher's on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix actually had a prequel uh, show for The Witcher that was just lambasted by everybody. Uh, it's not even supposed to have Henry Cavill in it because it's a prequel, but nobody liked it. Even the critics piled on. Uh, but it's still Amazon Prime that now boasts the dubious honor of having had two giant budget epic fantasy series that met with mixed results mm. in the year 2022. The marketing, at least for Rings of Power, was was dreadful. They were talking about all the cultural firsts they were going to accomplish, some of which were not correct. Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy showed female dwarves and persons of color in the Lake Town markets. Uh, there was all this boasting about the uh, the good that they were going to accomplish, and then it seemed like some of the oh yes, and also we're going to do a great story. Tolkien's world is our is our guiding light, and all of that like. At best, those uh, those uh, marketing slogans were equal to all the cultural good they were going to accomplish. And then the show came out and stuff just wasn't what fans were expecting. Uh, and I, I knew they were going to collapse Tolkien's timeline. I did not expect them to collapse his anthropology so hard. And I alluded to this in the last episode, but similar to Wheel of Time, Zach, it seems like a lot of showrunners, either because... Uh, they have a certain worldview or because they're just trying to please who they think their fan base is. They don't like this idea of a, um, an empathetic differences between the sexes, between men and women. Right. Uh, they want to equalize everything, uh, in the Lord of the Rings book and films, and even in the Hobbit films, uh, 
uh, men are going to the front lines and they're saying, get the women and children to safety, get the women and children and wounded to safety. In other words, those who either cannot fight or should not fight unless it's the last resort should not be near the front lines of battle. Now, should that be the real world worldview? That's up for you to decide. And I hope you have your Bible open. Was it Tolkien's worldview? Absolutely. Was Tolkien a racist, sexist, misogynist, blah, blah, blah? Absolutely not. Uh, and even if he was, it would make sense for the realm of Rohan in The Lord of the Rings uh, or uh, the men of Lake Town in The Hobbit, because in Tolkien's world, in Middle Earth, women and children are your culture's resource. They are a precious resource that makes sure your people can survive and have a heritage and make songs and culture and pass into future generations. That's what they're for. Men, therefore, fight and die and are viewed as, to some extent, expendable in order to make sure that your people survive. If in the Rings of Power you have erased this distinction or ignored it, then to me, that's not just a change of adaptation, like even so drastic as adding a warrior female elf in the Hobbit movies. Uh, if you make Galadriel into a warrior queen or you make uh, women into warriors or potential warriors equal to men, you're breaking Tolkien's world. And so that's why I didn't watch the show. Uh, there's some other stuff going on that I, I didn't appreciate so much, but I, I don't think the problem is that, oh, it's woke or, oh, we have elves of color or anything like that. That stuff I could easily forgive, just like I forgive some of the sillier moments in the Hobbit movies. But even the Hobbit movies will specifically show, I hate this character, but they were outrageously based. I noticed, Zach, I don't know if you've seen the Hobbit, the part three battle of five armies, but they have this character whom everyone despises and the movie despises him too. So I don't know why he's even there. Literally dress up as a woman in order to avoid fighting in the battles. And he goes and hides in the women's space to avoid acting like a man should. Um, that was in 2014. <laughs> and I don't know if it's aged very well, but it was outrageously based. Oh, I that's canceled now. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be canceled. It'd have to be canceled. <laughs> but there's another problem too. If, if Eowyn is uh, a, an, ex, um, an exceptional uh, warrior uh, among her people uh, in The Two Towers and Return of the King books and films, uh, then if if every female could fight in the early to the second age of Middle Earth, like why is Eowyn special at all? Uh, you have now uh, decreased the, uh, the the amazingness of Eowyn uh, in order to level everybody off. And I could go on about that. It could be a whole other episode. But I, I think that is what a lot of fans felt about the Rings of Power, even if they opted for other criticisms. It's woke. The visual effects are bad. Uh, it's ridiculous to show this uh, this this giant contraption that turns this uh, innocent land into Mordor and suddenly makes the volcano erupt. Like, yeah, that's all pretty dumb from what I can tell. Uh, but it, it seems to betray a worldview problem with the creators uh, more so than a, than a marketing problem even. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, gender dynamics of Rings of Power because it was the exact same problem with Wheel of Time. I mean, mm. same studio, so no surprise there. Yeah. Um, the, the Wheel of Time show wanted to turn everyone into either warrior women or emotional, mild-mannered men. And, you know, the interesting thing about the Wheel of Time is it's a world where only women can safely use magic. Men use magic and go crazy and, and kill everyone and die. But there are still warriors. It, it's still very much a male warrior society, evidenced by the Aes Sedai, who are women, the magic users. They all have personal bodyguards, warders, that are always almost always men. And, you know, there's 
every society, every group of people has soldiers and everything. And so there are some female warriors, but again, those are kind of the exception. And the weird thing it did, Stephen, and just in the interpersonal dynamics, is there's one male character, Perrin, that he has all of this remorse about using violence. And and he kind of gets tempted by this uh, pacifism movement. It's called the Way of the Leaf. And that, that's very faithful. And in, in the book, that's it's very much actually Robert Jordan, the author, sort of transposing his own PTSD or grief or whatever you want to call it from being in the war, uh, the Vietnam War. And so that's very, very good. But it's like they turned every male character that way of like, oh, I don't want to use violence. And then every female character uses violence without any remorse, second thought, regret. It's very odd. It's like they've, they've turned the women into these like robot terminators. And, wow. and the men into these kind of simpering wimps. Um, it, it's just not, it's not only is it not true to the books, it's not true to real life. I'm sorry. Um, it, it's just totally inverted. And again, you can see this in a lot of the public statements by the showrunner. There's this, it, it's this, it's the Ryan Johnson effect. Like I'm going to go subvert and deconstruct this story and, and fit it into this weird grid that I see the world through. Now, a little bit later, when we talk about Andor, I want to share how Andor kind of flips all that around in a, in a better way in terms of male and female characters. But uh, we'll, we'll save that for something more positive later. Right. Yeah, I, I've not seen Andor. I've not seen a lot of this, actually. Uh, and part of that is just not subscribing uh, to some of this stuff. But I'm glad Zach's here. Uh, he can help me along with all of that. Uh, another quick thought then about either both of these uh, Amazon fantasy series. Uh, it, it seems to be a world building problem, not just breaking the world of the original creator, but just a world building problem intrinsically. World building, of course, is that jargony term that people use and they're talking about how you put your world together, uh, usually uh, associated with putting a fantasy world together. Um, it seems to me uh, that if you make everybody super, then no one is. Uh, if every single person, for example, is this uh, amazing warrior who can get thrown into a wall and then bounce up and then, you know, rally on the power of friendship in order to defeat the foe or some anime trope like that, uh, it, it decreases the vulnerability of the characters. Uh, and this is a problem people have noted with superheroes like Batman. You know, you, once yeah. you say Batman has no powers and then he displays near omnipotent levels of awareness of what an enemy is going to do next, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too, guys. You've got to show vulnerability. I think there is simply an issue there of a fear of showing characters as vulnerable. And right. I think that that is an audience influence. I think there's a lot of people who feel vulnerable today and yeah. they want to see um, themselves uh, in place of this ultra powerful magical figure. Uh, this, this female warrior who's not vulnerable, which is absurd. Like it's absurd when you do it to male characters, men are vulnerable in battle. They're just vulnerable yeah. in different ways. Women would be even more vulnerable in battle. It's just a fact y'all. I don't mean that they ought not fight or anything like that. That's another podcast topic. We've probably already done it, but you've got to at least show the vulnerability. And I think to some extent, uh, the Avengers films did that fairly well. Uh, my wife and I noticed that at least in the early films, I mean, some other issues aside, uh, they showed Black Widow fighting like a, an action hero woman with special training would fight. She's using moves to turn the men opponent's strength against them and things like that. She's not just going in uh, like a brawler you know, with amazing upper body strength. When women fight, they fight differently. Men fight differently than women. It's just a fact. But again, that's another podcast. We could take it a field. I, I think there's just there's an issue between breaking 
um, breaking a canon, uh, and, and breaking a world. Uh, when you break something as fundamental as it sounds like the division of sexes and their abilities and wheel of time, uh, or the way that Tolkien would have presented uh, his uh, chivalrous uh, societies who are trying to survive. Uh, to me, like I, I can't get over that. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, I can move into acceptance uh, that we don't get at least a book adjacent uh, version of Lord of the Rings, yeah. a second age on TV. So we're, that's we're getting right Amazon fan fiction. It's the Amazon basics edition. Of right. Yes. Uh, with or without commercials uh, <laughs> stuck in the middle. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what's nice is that when we lose secular fandoms or general fandoms that we've grown up with, you can always go and you find a new fandom to get into. That's what Lorehaven is for. Moving us to our second sponsor, our friend Jamie S. Foley. Uh, she is the award winning author of the Sentinel Trilogy, our second sponsor for this episode. This young adult sci fi fantasy series has been called Harry Potter in a left behind story in a world where spiritual gifts are manifested physically. The characters must learn to use their unique abilities at the Saren Academy. When the apocalypse begins, will they work together to survive or be captured and enslaved written for teenage boys? This completed trilogy is full of humor and action. Book one Sentinel has over 100 reviews on Amazon with a 4.4 star average and is available now for Kindle paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. That is the award-winning author Jamie S. Foley's The Sentinel Trilogy. You can find out more in our show notes for episode 144 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. You can see the cover and other links there too. All right, Zach, we're going to stick around the uh, Disney world here uh, for just another segment or so. And that's for chapter two, Disney dooms its family friendly image. This is the part where it could get political if we're not careful, especially because I saw uh, just the other day that apparently the state of Florida is assuming governmental duties in the Disney World Special District uh, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, the kingdom is over, they proclaimed. And some other podcasts can talk about uh, the uh, any of the uh, constitutional or state constitutional issues there. We're going to stay focused on the content here, uh, content here, folks. And the first one, uh, Zach alluded to it earlier, Star Wars ain't doing well, guys. Uh, that's been the case ever since The Last Jedi, if not earlier. Uh, some prequel haters are still out there, I'm guessing. I'm, I'm just agnostic about those. But the Star Wars fandom keeps fighting its dark side. And I had to think back and realize, oh, yeah, early, early last year was the Boba Fett series. That kind of replaced, uh, it was kind of Mandalorian Season 2.5. And they, they, it was the Book of Boba Fett. Great musical theme. Uh, the original actor back uh, ties in with the, the Mandalorian universe, which had already introduced Boba Fett in season two. Big surprise of the season there. And a lot of people had a mixed response to this show, uh, except for me. Uh, I don't have anything invested in Boba Fett, so maybe the show wasn't for me. But I didn't mind it moving a little slower. Uh, the uh, the Power Ranger Street Gang uh, certainly took me out of the show. It was a very slow, strange episode there. Uh, and Boba Fett just kind of seemed to walk around, do some politicking for a while. Things picked up uh, once we moved in for the showdown uh, and actually had an episode or two that just uh, caught up with the Mandalorian and kind of ignored Boba Fett for a while there. Very strange. But I liked it overall. A lot of fans did not. Uh, they either had their headcanon about Boba Fett or the expanded universe about Boba Fett, and they were Boba Fett stands. I wanted to like it because I it's the same guys that made Mandalorian, if I correct me if I'm wrong. And so I know that they're faithful, they're fans first of Star Wars, and they did such a good job with the Mandalorian. But 
Uh, Naomi and I have talked about this. We we consider Boba Fett the uh, COVID brain fog production of Star Wars. Oh, it does that affect, does it not? Yeah. It, yes. it just doesn't really, it's not cohesive. It's not terrible, but it's just, I'll just say this. I didn't finish it and I don't feel any obligation to finish it. I, you mentioned, oh, you did pow- not? okay, you can move yeah. to the end. Now there was just, an episode where uh, Boba Fett himself does get a COVID brain fog that involves like a vision <laughs> of a tree in a desert and a lizard yeah. goes up his nose. A lizard literally goes up Ugh, his nose. It's so bizarre. No, thanks. Yeah. I, I think you, you hit it right with the, uh, power ranger, you know, street gang. Uh, my friend Adam calls them the, uh, unemployed rich kids. It's like, well, if they're so desperate for money, why don't they sell their fancy scooters or clothes or cybernetic implants? Or it, it just didn't make sense even within the world. Um, so yeah, I, cyberpunk I just, and Star Wars uh, seems an uneasy marriage, at least on screen. I'm unaware well, if it's being done with the expanded universe. It works well in Andor, which we'll get to in a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. But okay. Um, yeah, and then we go into Obi-Wan, which same kind of thing. It's like I didn't hate it or love it. I just kind of felt meh about it. I didn't it. watch it. By that point, I wasn't watching Disney yeah. Plus and... I don't have a huge attachment to the prequels and I know there's some nostalgia at least for Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan and Hayden Christensen as uh, Darth Vader. But uh, yeah, I just, by that point I just kind of meh, like you said. Yeah. So Obi-Wan turned me off right away when uh, in an early episode, so slight spoiler, uh, they kill off the Inquisitor and then they introduce this random girl to take his place that I, I don't get what her deal is. And, uh, you know, they, they were building this guy up as this big bad, and all of a sudden he's gone. And, and this is very similar to The Last Jedi, where they build up uh, Snoke or whatever. Subverted. Aren't you surprised? Just killed him off. Right. And it, it's these kind of cheap, it's these cheap surprises that are so annoying in, in storytelling. It's like, what a terrible payoff for all the setup that you had going on there. I guess if you're Rian Johnson trying to do his uh, ultra clever subversive murder mysteries on Netflix or something, you can get away with doing shtick like that. But with Star Wars, the fans expect a more traditionally based story simply because they've been trained by at least the original trilogy, uh, which was slavishly faithful to the idea of the monomyth uh, popularized by Joseph Campbell. Uh, other stories like The Mandalorian, they're not following that template as uh, as closely but they still adhere to the value system. You know, um, the Mandalorian has an honor system that he follows. You know, he doesn't remove his helmet except in very rare circumstances. Uh, as we had an article at Lorehaven, actually, uh, he's almost a Christian-ish character, not because he's a Christian, but because uh, he's a, no, no, he's a religious fundamentalist. Yeah, that's what Josiah DeGraff said. Uh, and the story honors him. And to some extent, uh, Boba Fett uh, follows the same kind of code, even though he's a little bit more uh, morally murky. Um, I, I was fine with Boba Fett. I liked the Mandalorian a lot more, but I'm going to miss Mandalorian season three because I'm not liking what Disney's doing, but real quick, Zach, before we go to their not so secret agenda, dooming their family friendly image, uh, you said that Andor does better. So we're going to throw in a, a little bit of yeah. optimism here. I've not seen Andor. I'm, I'm intrigued because it sounds like the uh, gritty star Wars reboot that some people didn't even know they should ask for. Uh, and it also has the first instance of the S word. Congratulations. Uh, how woke and terrible is Andor, or is it actually good? It's fantastic. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Way to go, Star Wars. Okay. It's my favorite Disney Star Wars uh, after Rogue One. And ma- pretty much tied with the Above the Mandalorian. Oh, tied with them. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just very different. Um, so the Phantom Menace, 
attempted something bold, which was a political thriller mixed with the kids' sh- television show. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the audience was for that. <laughs> and, and, and they, yeah, they tried to split the difference and it didn't work. But the I admired the ambition in that they were trying to set up this, you know, multi-part political intrigue um, thriller going on, and an Andor that's all they focus on. So, in the original trilogy, we have a mysterious character in um, Return of the Jedi named Mon Mothma, who has the famous line. Many Bothans died to bring to us bring this us information. information. Yes. yes. So, and she makes a, I guess, a brief appearance in the prequels, but they had a much bigger part for her. Uh, and th- they tried to revise a little bit in Rogue One, but this, this, uh, but season one of Andor very much features Mon Mothma. And, oh, okay. And here is what's so interesting about her. She is very much a warrior, but of the political variety, there not of the swords and guns variety. And so she uses every skill, every like diplomatic, political, social skill at her disposal to try to build up the rebellion. And it's fantastic. It is so suspenseful. Everything she does, I'm on the edge of my seat. And it, at one point, I'm like... This is so different from normal Star Wars. There's there's not like shooting all the time. There's not lightsabers all the time. It's like very dramatic is is in is what it is. There are some great action scenes absolutely with Cassian Andor. There's some of the classic stuff with droids and stormtroopers and explosions. Uh but I really enjoyed them taking this political thriller idea seriously. And really showing how the rebellion is this very complicated organism with a lot of parts of it not trusting other parts of it. As they even say in Rogue One, it's an alliance, right? It's it's a bunch of different factions kind of cobbled together to fight the Empire. And a lot of them don't like each other. And so they really go more into that. They double down on that in Andor. So for, uh, for storytelling, it was fantastic. Uh, and so many great moments with the the main character Cassian Andor uh too many to count but yeah again you see very much his story arc of kind of this loner this thief uh this kind of nobody and and to becoming more central to the rebellion's cause and again this is the lead up to Rogue One so you you kind of already know where it's going to go you know where it's at least you know he's going to survive right because he's in that movie but you don't know about anyone else, <laughs> I guess, in, uh, except for Mon Mothma. Anyone else is fair game. And yeah, a lot of people get killed off. Um, it's very gritty. It is cyberpunk, to be sure, in the uh, first episode or two. And that really surprised me. So uh, it was a huge, fun surprise. Would you watch and or with your kids, however? So yeah, that that's where I wouldn't. That's that's where I'm saying it. It takes that other. It takes that other audience. It takes that adult audience that were they were trying to go for with Phantom Menace, and it kind of just takes out the uh, the kid audience. Basically, there's there's no silly Jar Jar kind of characters. There's no cute space babies. Um, it's just a story for adults w- with a lot of high stakes uh, scenes. So yeah, and and even some kind of more gritty stuff, honestly. But more more PG thirteen. I'm guessing yeah. they don't go so far as to showing you know what people would 
classic, you know, an adult, you know, like The Witcher, where you've got, no. you know, naked people writhing in the background or something. So that that's still too far for Star Wars. No, but I mean, the, the first episode opens with uh, him visiting, uh, trying to find someone who he think was being trafficked or who's in a brothel. Um, well, that's so, conceivable in the Star yeah, Wars world. There's some sure. pretty nasty places out there. I mean, we see that in Jabba's palace, right? We see Scum women who are being yes. trafficked, but it's it's kind of glossed over a little bit, right? And they, you know, they very much go there of like, hey, I'm looking for this woman. She was here as a prostitute, so it doesn't shy away from that. Now it doesn't, you know, it, again, it doesn't show anything graphic, uh, but it it shows you the reality of living under a tyranny, and I think that's what I liked about it so much, is that it's very honest about what a dystopian government, galactic wide, would actually look like and how it would function, and not just directly, but through intermediaries and in how it would essentially turn these corporations into these kind of corrupt arms of a tyranny. And boy, with the release of the Twitter files, a lot of this sounds very familiar. Oh boy. Yeah. It's a, it's a language. Then it's a story language to describe a lot of what we're feeling in the real world, which by the way, late breaking a concession stand item here. When we say that Disney's doomed its family friendly image, I'm not specifically thinking about, Oh no, Disney made a a grittier star Wars show, uh, or, or Disney's going to do a a daredevil series uh, now uh, integrated with the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, that'll probably carry over at least some of the uh, much darker, grittier elements of the Netflix uh, show. Uh, That's not what I'm primarily thinking of. It sounds like this is just a more challenging kind of story uh, that's more PG-13 rated. Uh, But like you said, Zach, it's it's not doing, you know, cute cute baby Grogu or or some of the more traditional kid-friendly Star Wars elements. Uh, What I'm thinking specifically, uh, and well done, by the way, uh, Disney for doing uh, Andor, it sounds like Andor, uh, it's kind of like the Batman v Superman of the Star Wars world. And mm. as such, it'd be right up my alley. If you know what you're expecting, and if you don't expect every single story in this universe to follow the same template, sounds like right. Disney can afford to make this an exception, uh, just as I wish the DC would at least make notable exceptions for these movies and not just err on the side of being all as family-friendly as possible or else going into the R-rated stuff. But that's for Chapter 3. We're still in Chapter 2. Disney has doomed its family-friendly image, not by grimdark stuff, but they have ruined their own magic because in late March, Zach, we were talking about stuff releasing on Twitter. Uh, there's an activist on the associated with the cultural right named Chris Rufo who leaked video of Disney creators being real honest. It's another one of those lockdown consequences. You get a lot more people doing remote meetings, and as such, they're on the record with someone saying, well, I have a not-so-secret gay agenda, and we're glad to actually put that in our shows that we're putting on Disney+. Plus." For children. For children, yes. So this yeah. isn't grimdark, you know. Uh, Cassie and Andor uh, goes to a brothel to try to find some information. And, you know, you maybe see some seedy stuff in the corner uh, that just gives you the impression of dark stuff going on. Like, no, this is actual dark stuff that's being presented as light stuff. For kids. And uh, from my vantage, yeah, for kids. From my yeah. vantage, uh, this voice to what a lot of Christians suspected even back in the 90s. Hey, Disney's getting into this stuff and they're trying to normalize it. Uh, perhaps this great corporation now uh, thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. Uh, they're still at it. And now mm-hmm. they're kind of on the record and it caught fire and, you know, a bunch of people with conspiracy theories said stuff, but it's legit folks. Like it's what they're trying to do. I say, if people tell you who they are, you need to listen to them. Uh, this is the nation's fastest growing religion. Maybe the world's cra- fastest growing religion, uh, sexualityism. like Christians pay attention. This, this is a separate religious system. 
I gave it a name. They didn't, but it's their idea, mm-hmm. not mine. Uh, not our fault. Uh, we didn't start the fire. Uh, so this summer, uh, a lot of people were unsubscribing to Disney Plus, including me, but also audiences bombed two Disney animated movies, Lightyear from Pixar and Strange World from Disney proper. Uh, they both just crashed like a spaceship, which, of course, is the reason why those movies crash, Zach. It's because uh, audiences don't like sci-fi from Disney. They don't like stories with aliens in them. Uh, that's the reason why it crashed. Or maybe it was the lockdowns. Somehow Tom Cruise can achieve altitude, uh, but Buzz Lightyear cannot. Uh, lockdowns. lockdowns I some sarcasm fall. here. A little sarcasm, yes. <laughs> in sarcasm. Uh, critics liked these movies, and uh, you've seen the articles where everybody's just, oh, shucks. Wow, I guess families just don't want to go to movies now, even though the you know 14th Minions movie did perfectly fine. Uh, and apparently Puss in Boots is doing okay. So, oh, shucks. Why didn't these Disney movies work? Anyway, um, Disney is kind of suffering now. And they literally like went back and they got their old CEO to try to fix stuff. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Because I think, yeah, Dis- Disney's in all three of these chapters, by the way. We may have been hard on Amazon Prime in chapter one. Uh, but Disney's in trouble uh, triplicate. Uh, Disney's also had some lackluster stuff. Um, I would have been interested at one time in their, um, a direct to home release, a sequel to enchanted. It's a favorite movie of mine. It's the first movie. Um, I then girlfriend now wife, uh, saw together in 20, uh, 2008 actually, but disenchanted didn't do very well. Zach, you mentioned it earlier. There's just a lot of demand for content and not as many super talented folks who can put it together. Uh, you're just going to go out to the highways and byways and collect people to go into your party. And that may be fine if you're a rich man in a Jesus parable. But when you're a giant streaming service, uh, desperate for content, it's not going to work so well. Uh, as a result, I mean, I'm effectively boycotting Disney+. Plus. Uh, we we kind of talked about uh, streaming boycotts and whether or not you should try one in our episode 41. Uh, but that's how I'm feeling about Disney right now. And we haven't even talked about the superheroes yet. Uh, that, that'll be just ahead. But what what do you think about I don't know, Disney stuff, especially because you've got, you know, you've got young kids. Uh, it affects you guys a lot more, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, right there in Andor, there is a lesbian couple. I just want to be honest about that. And so that features prominently in multiple episodes. And in fact, it it's almost seems like more screen time is given to their sort of romantic tension than other couples. I, I could be wrong. I mean, there are other couples. Disney in sees you. Yeah. Yeah. Disney sees everything. Right. It it's just kind of unnecessary too for the story. Um it 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 seems very extraneous. Now again, you you do see Mon Mothma and her husband and their child, but that very much directly plays into the political machinations that she's in the midst of. So, yeah, it it very much seems like a um a signal uh to certain fans yeah, so that's going to come come with more of the PG-13, I guess, and not for kids stuff. But hey, at least that's kind of what we're saying, right? It's like, well, if you're going to go into that stuff, save it for the more adult fare, not the uh, the, the kid stuff. And and that's where, you know, this uh, this woman from Disney, you know, she's on record saying, I, I, wherever I could, I'm trying to add queerness. No one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. And, and that's the big problem. It's that they're just, they're too addicted to this messaging and the signaling. Um, and they, they don't know how to stop it. They just, it's this kind of running away from them 
it's it's a snowball that's run away from them. So, yeah, I'm not really that interested in kind of where they're going. And, and even my kids, as they've watched some of the more um, TV shows that Disney's produced, like the more like modern day kind of shows, there's always the the gay element in every show, almost in every episode. And so, yeah, it, it's it's through and through Disney. It's become their priority. And um, that's not why we go to movies or TV shows for that element. So it's, we're kind of not their target audience anymore. And so I'm fine with turning elsewhere for shows. I mean, we already get uh, Amazon prime and um, we already get prime video and HBO anyway with the service, other services we have. So I'm happy just to turn over there. Not that those are, really any better but it's like well why am i paying for these services that i'm not really using it's kind of where i've come to so i promised in our last episode that i was going to cancel hbo max and then i found out it's uncancelable oh for me now i wonder how much i've thought about pulling it come with your cell phone it it comes with the cable company yeah you have to call in and cancel it and then they'd be like why it's free just don't watch it if you don't want Uh, it but i want to send them it's not about the money it's about sending a message i want to send a message but i can't so i feel like a liar when i said i'm canceling my hbo max and then i go and i find there's no little x on the thing you know i'm not even going to save 13 bucks a month or whatever it is so i i don't know what to make of that i'm the service is basically worthless to me other than giving some access to some, uh, you know, some DC movies that I may have liked to watch once upon a time. I now own those all on home release anyway, physical media, bro, physical media. Uh, and then the Miyazaki films, I, I want to get those on home release anyway. So I'm skipping ahead to chapter three here. Um, it, it calls for some discernment. I think, uh, when they're putting that kind of false religious content, I would describe it as religious, false religious, not just political and not even about identity. It's a false religion, folks. Uh, you're putting that up there right up front, not just somewhere in the background to try to appease somebody, but integrating it into the plot lines. Uh, and then even worse, uh, propagandizing children uh, to accept this as normal. Like we're still family friendly. We just need to expand the definition of family like infinitely. Uh, it's not just Disney plus anymore. It's family plus the, the plus means you can define anything you like about it. Uh, that's an issue, especially for Christians who are trying to discern stuff. It's you're not, you're not like your fundy parents or ancestors. If you switch off the Disney plus and try to find uh, some wholesome alternatives, like if anything, the wholesome media is best for the kids. It's just an issue. If we decide that everything should be appropriate for the kids, we still want shows like Andor. And we still want on the, on the Christian fantasy front, we want some Christian fantasy novels that are not always traditionally wholesome, uh, just so that they're God glorifying. So one way you can cope with that is just by taking action. That's part of grief over Disney dooming its family friendly image. Uh, speaking of pop culture parenting, I saw an empty slot here for sponsor three and I rushed in and took it by thunder. Uh, I am, as I say, at the top of each show, the author or co-author of the pop culture parent. Uh, that's a nonfiction book about fiction that I co-wrote uh, with Ted Turno and uh, Pastor Jared Moore, both really wise chaps with kids. Uh, Ted has older kids. Jared has younger kids. And we all partnered and we all wrote a book and New Growth Press released it. And here's the description. Parents often feel at a loss with popular culture and how it fits in with their families. They want to love their children well, but it can be overwhelming to navigate the murky waters of television, movies, games, and more that their kids are exposed to every day. Popular culture doesn't have to be a burden. The pop culture parent equips mothers, fathers, and guardians to build relationships with their children, 
by entering into their popular culture-informed worlds, understanding them biblically, and passing on wisdom. By providing realistic yet biblical encouragement for parents, the co-authors guide readers to engage with popular culture through a gospel lens, helping them teach their kids to understand and answer the challenges raised by popular culture. That is The Pop Culture Parent, a nonfiction book about these fantasy worlds, but I managed to get a dragon and a video game controller on the cover. So it's perfectly in keeping with the usual uh, sponsors we see on Fantastical Truth. You can get more info at our show notes for episode 144 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. We'll say, Zach, in The Pop Culture Parent, we are positive about the stories we enjoy there's actually a whole chapter I got to write about Star Wars. So am I going to be a Star Wars hater from now on? Absolutely not. I'm going to appreciate what I like, but critique what I don't. And I never thought I would be here, but now I'm going to critique what I don't like. And I'm going to say for chapter three that the Marvel and DC superhero fatigue has landed. It has certainly landed at my household and in my heart. I am so tired right now. And I don't want to be of superheroes, superheroes everywhere. And most of that is the fault of streaming bloat. Uh, I think a major factor in Disney getting its uh, old CEO back is a new guy seems to have been all in on streaming and valued quantity over quality. And suddenly, like there's a new Marvel superhero show every three months on Disney Plus. And I quit watching after Hawkeye. I'll tell you, like Hawkeye. I didn't even watch Hawkeye. Okay. I don't remember the last one now, I watched. God, <laughs> God bless uh, Jeremy Renner. He is literally right now oh, recovering yes. from a terrible snowball accident in Nevada. Uh, yeah. Horrible. Uh, yeah. Terrible accident. Uh, great actor. I enjoy him as Hawkeye. I think he's underrated. I'm glad he got his own show. But the ending of the show was just so meh. And some of it was kind of, okay, we're training Hawkeye's inevitable lower budget female replacement. Uh, some of that stuff, Zach, is just, you know, we're going to recruit new actors as we phase out the old ones because they get too expensive. You know, their movies uh, earn a lot and then they have more leverage through their agent to negotiate a bigger salary. And as a result, you know, and aging too as well, uh, you start aging out of the role and they can't afford you anymore. So they got to train your replacement and then, oh, well, what do you know? The replacement's going to be uh, the, the female version or the version who has a different skin tone. And then we also get woke points as well as cheaper actors. And that's kind of the trick there. Not saying it's evil. I'm just saying it's kind of obvious. But the Disney Plus shows, yeah, I quit. I quit watching them uh, this year. Um, you don't need to watch them to keep up with the Marvel movies, and I'm barely even watching the Marvel movies anymore. Last one I saw was uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, maybe the last good one. I don't know. Uh, but Disney owns all the things, and they own half the superhero universe. So they've decided they're going to put quantity over quality, and as a result, I'm feeling meh. Like you said earlier. Uh, the She-Hulk show was just one example. I didn't watch it, but everybody was yelling at it and calling it woke. Whether or not it was woke is just something you say to mean, I don't like it, or the CGI wasn't good, or something like that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of misogyny, but it really did seem uh, that the show was trying to troll the misogynist over and above, telling a cohesive story that felt like Marvel. Uh, the thing that shocked me, and I'm I'm obviously marginally familiar with the comic book character, probably like a lot of people who watch Marvel movies, not read Marvel comics necessarily. Did you hear Zach about how the She-Hulk show actually ended and it's a, at the end of its first and possibly series finale? No. I, oh, you did? I, okay. I, I stopped you listening to all the news about okay, it. So all right. me. Okay. All right. Now I want your, I want your take on this both as a, a philosophy and as a world building. 
at the end of the show, which I will remind you is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and as a result has continuity and even guest stars from, for example, uh, the guy who played Abomination from the Hulk movie in 2008. Uh, and some other actors, uh, including Daredevil, he was in the show, and they trolled people who kept expecting him. So at the end of the show, first, She-Hulk gets it on with Daredevil, which is just not right. Um, for kids, right? For kids. Uh, secondly, I'm not making this up. Folks, I wish you could watch Zach's face here. Um, don't put on, Zach. I want to see your honest reaction here, and I'll try to explain it. All right. At the end of the show, She-Hulk... Yeah, is preparing for the big superhero finale abomination shows up hulk shows up they all look really cheap tv grade visual effects by the way i've seen the clips uh another guy hulks out i think he's the leader of the misogynists who hate she hulk for some reason and uh got together a bunch of uh, uh incels from reddit uh, to go after her or something uh she hulk then turns to the camera and says that she doesn't want this finale so she breaks into the disney plus menu climbs across the other shows, Marvel and Star Wars included. You can look this up. You can look up this clip. She then goes into the writer's room and complains about these superhero shows being all the same. And then she goes into this darker chamber where she meets with an AI called Kevin. Kevin Feige, get it? Uh, who asks her things like, hey, can you actually transform back to your human form and please do it off camera because, you know, visual effects cost a lot <laughs> so she, so they went all deadpool they on? went all they they wow. went more meta than that um okay. and again this isn't deadpool which is kind of in his own like kind of franchise reality from all i understand this is a show set in the mcu and there's no superpower that she has yeah. that gives her the ability to do that that's weirder than wandavision yeah now uh, wandavision uh, played with some things but stayed within the constraints right, of the of universe the uh, yeah now it helps when you have magic powers as, right. as, as Wanda has, but she Hulk has Hulk powers. And of course the power of being a strong independent woman, which is even greater than Hulk powers. So, okay. so she's more uh, powerful than Dr. Strange, basically Apparently, by virtue of being a woman. Yes, I guess. Or just, that's what makes it woke, right? Because to be a woman is the ultimate power in the universe. To be a man is some kind of liability. And that's, you know, that's just gender equity or just uh, gender Marxism really is, now, is now all would, that is. Would we yeah. call that woke or feminism or is it more accurate to, I'm asking this rhetorically, is it more yeah. accurate to say that people think that it's clever? People think that going meta and subverting yourself and winking to the audience so hard your face freezes that away and saying, hey guys, eh, it's all just fiction. Eh? We're all in this joke together. Eh? it seems to be a disrespect to the earnestness of the world. Like this is a world yeah. where at, at its peak in infinity war and end game, you know, Thanos gets hold of this near omnipotent, uh, weapon and then snaps away half of all life in the universe. And then you spend years in story world time of recovery and people are grieving and they're trying to figure out what's going on until time travel comes along and fixes everything. Spoiler alert. Uh, people are invested in this. They take it seriously. And then you just go and mock it and then literally have the Disney plus menu on Disney plus show when you haven't gone to the menu. And by the way, if they ever change the menu, it's going to oh, instantly date the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't <laughs> even, yeah. It's like when YouTube creators show the YouTube um, uh, landscape and go kind of mad about themselves. Like it's, it's kind of cute when they do it because it's YouTube. You expect it to, you know, uh, to, I mean, to age pretty poorly sometimes, but in this a show, is good. Mm, 
This is going to have as much staying power as the Star Wars holiday special. Oh, um, oh, it, that's yeah, that's a that's a really you know that no one really likes. Everyone just kind of loves to hate. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. Why do creators do this? It's it's like well, in, in this the case, entire re- the entire reason I'm watching a show is to go to another world to right. Yeah. Get out of this world for a while. Yeah. Not uh, to feel clever or made fun of, uh, <laughs> or right. both at the same time. I think it's more an issue of, like you said, Zach, is people seem not to be just all that great or devoted to the craft of storytelling. And because the superhero universes are making the biggest money right now, if you're trying to get your break in the biz, that's where you got to start. So maybe you have passion for the character. Maybe you don't. But right now, it seems like the demand for the content is far outpacing the supply of quality content creators. That's just my theory. I'm not in the industry, but I think the results kind of speak for themselves. And as a result, a lot of fans are getting the superhero fatigue. I wish they would just yeah. admit it and call that like, guys, like I didn't even hear anybody say about that moment. She Hulk. Oh, this is jumped the shark, but it is 100% a jump the shark moment. Uh, and unfortunately it means the whole MCU has jumped the shark, uh, riding on the back of this one show that supposedly is set in that same universe and has all these continuity things and Wong from Dr. Strange appearing and daredevil and everything. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing because it, it does, like I said earlier, it breaks the world. Oh, it breaks it so hard. Well, and I, it's, it's this kind of thing that quite a lo- a while ago led me to try out other superhero varieties. Like, so I mentioned I have prime video and their big thing is the boys, which was a, Oh no, you kind of like watch su- that. Did you? It's like superheroes, uh, but, uh, kind of ruled by corporatism. And yeah, I, I can't watch that. It, it's just, it's way too R rated. I yeah. don't recommend it for anyone. I, I'm not interested anymore. But again, it was a, it was at least an intriguing premise. It's oh, it like, is. Well, yeah. What, what if superheroes became products of megacorps and became merchandised and, and basically they didn't even have a free hand. And so th- this is what I liked about at least, uh, was it Captain America civil war where it's like the superheroes, uh, come under this umbrella of the UN, you know, charter. And then they disagree about whether they should be under that authority or be their own authority. And that was interesting. And that's, again, at least that was an interesting premise with the boys, but it's just so gross for lack of a better word. Yeah. I've heard about that. They try to make it. And and the grossness was the the point. Yeah. Yeah. And sexual exploitation for sure. I think that's a cheat code too. If you're going to do superheroes, then you've got a bunch of, you know, very newcomer actors standing around in kind of fancy looking uh, costumes, but you really for a streaming series can't get too far with the visual effects. So what do you do? You either plug it into an existing universe uh, like the Marvel shows do, or you make up your own and you put all the effects into these outrage moments or getting people naked or things like that, that still seem to have a premium, even though it's really cheap to do that. And I I think it's an issue of actor, actor exploitation there too, but, and and see that's that's again back to Andor. That's what Andor did so well mm. is that it it minimized the action and the explosions, yeah, expensive it, stuff, uh huh. Yeah, and then it maximized the suspense and political intrigue, which is a lot cheaper to film. Yeah, but, but it takes with, talent to write, though. It takes a exactly. lot of talent to write, and, and that's and again that that's what so much of this comes down to. It's just it's just hack filmmaking. Uh, is is responsible for so much of the garbage that we see that is so offensive and gross uh, because that's just easier to do than take the time to develop a really meaningful, interesting story. Preach, brother. And speaking of hack filmmakers who make garbage that are offensive and gross, let's talk about DC. <laughs> 
I, we're already an hour and in. I've got to keep this short. But y'all who follow my activism uh, for the Snyderverse are well aware this is coming. And I'm sure yeah. this is not the last time we'll talk about this. But hey, it's fantastical truth. I want to stay focused here, folks. It's not the DC or fandom uh, podcast. Marvel's got its issues, but at least they're cranking out the content. Uh, DC seems to have run out of money. Uh, I don't know where it's all gone, but uh, poured into uh, overbloated movies with reshoots and stupidity. Uh, apparently, uh, they hired. Uh, well, Zach, how much did you hear about this one? Because uh, I, I know I've, I was. I've been following your updates. I, yeah. I, I think the most interesting thing is that you at one time defended the guy they brought on. And oh, now, now you don't. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. All right. So James Gunn is the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And also, if I recall right, the writer of Scooby-Doo 2. You know, I don't know what that was. <laughs> um, and he also, uh, he's, he's had some questionable stuff before. And uh, back in the late 2000s, I think he was literally making evil, wicked, twisted, quote, jokes, end quote, uh, about... Um, sexual assault uh, including of uh, innocence uh, including of children he was making jokes about this it was the darkest of gross Whoa. dark comedy can't even talk about it here uh that was years before he was the guardians of the galaxy director the tweets resurfaced disney fired him was that 2018 something like that and at the time it seemed like uh, i mean i saw the tweets they were disgusting but i did note that first the actors of guardians of the galaxy had all come together to support him and said that he has always been respectful. He would never do such a thing. And this is male and female actors, right? Uh, and uh, he himself had given a what seemed to be a good and earnest apology, and even more so, um, saying that yeah, he he needs to be responsible for this, and he's going to just go do something else. And he seemed to accept the consequences. And more importantly, he had never been accused of act that actual kind of behavior. Uh, that's the most important thing uh, is that if there was anybody who would accuse him, you know, they should step forward. Now, the issue being is that as an outrage monger and a vulgarian, he had been hanging out with rock stars and other people who have since actually been accused of that kind of behavior. So you've got this association. Uh, at the time, I said, well, if it's just wicked, terrible jokes that he has repented for, then I don't see why we've got to cancel him. Uh, since then, um, he went on to make a very vulgarian uh, DC movie, The Suicide Squad, released a couple of years ago. And for some reason, that movie bombed, probably because they put it on streaming at the same time. It was gross. It was R-rated. It was basically DC trying to do the boys' shtick, but except uh, using you know DC characters. And the movie bombed. And yet, for some reason, uh, the other month, they put this man in charge of the entire studio. And he promptly went and he fired Henry Cavill. He didn't want Henry Cavill as Superman man anymore for whatever reason. I think it's money. I think Cavill's popular and too expensive. After they had announced, Cavill had announced that he was back as Superman. Outrageous. Just absurd and dishonorable. Like, find the money somewhere. We'll we will hold a GoFundMe. Like, they were planning a Man of Steel solo follow-up. Uh, and everything. We were going to get to see Henry Cavill as Superman, probably fighting Brainiac, a classic, a big tech DC villain. Like, you know, this is DC's uh, Skynet, uh, this being who just wants to collect all the information, uh, who actually uh, is an escapee from uh, Krypton, Superman's destroyed homeworld. This is going to be awesome. And then they were probably going to do another Justice League movie or so after that. But it, to shorten it, James Gunn, uh, a merchant of what I called in my article Deathworks, has ruined everything. Uh, guys, they're not going to have any more Wonder Woman movies with Gal Gadot. 
Uh, I'm just be perfectly that's honest. Insane. That is absolutely see. That's absolutely insane. <laughs> um, and okay, so they they fired Henry Cavill, and you could say, well, Zack Snyder ruined everything. Like, not with Zack Snyder's Justice League, you didn't. You guys were gonna get the happy, joyous, uh, optimistic, strong, powerful Superman you wanted, right? Just take three movies to build him up. Okay, is that asking too much? Now he's established. Now he's solid. Uh, there were rumors that they were going to have uh, um, he was going to marry Lois Lane and they were going to have a Superboy, uh, And then Feora was going to come back out of the Phantom Zone uh, where she went uh, at the end of uh, Man of Steel uh, and, and go after Superman's kid. Like Those were all rumors, but I follow some scoopers who were absolutely correct about other things they were planning. And then Gunn came in with his big gun and he blew it up. Now, why? I think they're out of money. I think they spent too much on just constantly trying to chase after the Marvel success, but they didn't understand that you have to take some clunkers along the way to get it. Uh, you have to have some resources. You have to have a company that believes in you and won't just throw you out as soon as the movie doesn't clear an imaginary threshold. They ditched Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was Black Adam, who was kind of trying to get in in this thing. And then maybe if his movie did really well, kind of sort of take it over. I didn't want him to take it over. Um, he's way too populist and doesn't seem to understand the earnestness of at least the Snyder movies, but I admire the effort. I admire him for getting uh, Henry Cavill to cameo as Superman at the end of the movie. But then they said, okay, well, you know, I guess this universe is never going to work. So we're just going to blow it all up and start over. And now everybody's talking about getting a younger Superman. That means a cheaper Superman. That means a, an actor from a streaming show somewhere who has a good jawline and maybe can smile more and look good in a cape. Uh, it's repulsive. And I'm more passionate about this than any of these other fandoms because we got so close, so close to getting back to some more serious stories and having a more consistent universe. I didn't want the Black Adam thing taking it over because Black Adam broke the canon, man. Like they were suddenly having a bunch of super people running around for decades earlier as part of another super team when we hadn't even seen the full formation of the Justice League yet. It broke the timeline. But you could straighten it out by saying, oh, that's another part of the multiverse. You know, here's Black Adam and Shazam over here and their Superman looks like this. And then here's the Snyderverse over here, which you know most fans would say that's the prime timeline. I certainly would. They could have straightened it out, but that takes creative effort, and that takes a lot of expense, and Gal Gadot is expensive, and Henry Cavill is expensive, and Ben Affleck is expensive. So they're going to, I mean, they're not going to fire Gal Gadot. They basically fired Henry Cavill, and he posted about it, but Gal Gadot won't say anything. They'll just not schedule one of her movies for the next three years. And then she'll age out or get bored or get really, really too expensive. And it's kind of sexist, really, except they're also doing it to Henry Cavill. So like, like you said, Zach, it is outrageous to think of not having another a Wonder Woman film with, with Gal Gadot. We could have gotten a Wonder Woman Trinity movie with Gal Gadot, but also Batman and Superman mm -hmm. set in that continuity. Catch her up to the modern day. No more 80s cheesy stuff. Uh, I think we're done with that sort of thing. But uh, I think the director wanted to do her, do her own thing, and they use that as an excuse to say, okay, well, we're just, we're just not going to do this. We're going to get distracted. We're going to go chasing off of vaporware timelines, uh, and, and James Gunn's going to do his own stuff. James Gunn says he's going to direct another, or not going to direct, he says he's writing another Superman movie, yeah. which is just as insane. He is not, he's, not a, he's not a Superman director, and he said so. He said that they asked him before to do it, and he kept saying no, because he wants to work with the niche characters meaning he can basically reinvent them in his own Vulgarian image and then blow up their heads or something. Uh, I don't even care if he's as earnest as he can be. He doesn't have the capacity. He is such a bad choice to head the entire studio, and it just represents how some people can just keep falling up. I guess that's a superpower, too. Yeah, it's very similar to what's 
Well, it, it's similar and different with what's happened to Wheel of Time is that they brought in someone with just not a lot of experience doing this that um, had his own agenda. And, uh, but, but at least there was a, you know, if nothing else, there was at least a consistent approach to the source material. It sounds like the, the problem DC has had all along at Warner, with, under Warner Brothers is there's been no consistent hand guiding the development of all these stories and tying them together. You know, that's what Marvel has done very well to their credit. They have had, for the most part, at least up to Avengers Infinity Wars, is there was a very consistent approach and, and timeline that was everything was tied together. Now, sometimes things went a little askew, like um, Age of Ultron was was okay, but I felt like it was basically a trailer for a bunch of other movies that they were going to make. Oh yeah, it was um, trying to be do too th- too many things at once. I still yeah. like it though. There, there's a great theme in that movie that yeah. I've talked about in other episodes. Yeah, I mean, I just wish you could cut out all the other stuff that was just not necessary to the story. But anyway, there was at least a consistency to Marvel. Um, now lately, I think they've gotten way off track, and it's just kind of random. And and again, this is what Star Wars suffered from. They just kind of bounced past it from one person to another. There wasn't a a, a steward, uh, to use a Lord of the Rings uh, term. So, and now they bring in a steward that doesn't seem to respect the story. I, you know, I just don't understand why studios do this in the first place because when you're adapting something either from a graphic novel or a comic book or a novel, it just seems obvious that the best way to make a lot of money is to be as faithful as possible to the source material, because then you would have a core group of enthusiastic fans who are going to tell all their friends, go see this movie. It's incredible. And that, that is a, you know, that that is a marketing superpower to be able to have that core group because every, you know, it's like movies really only target certain audiences, but if you can really delight that audience, they're going to bring their friends the second or third or fourth time they see it. Having this random approach where you're deconstructing everything and uh, trying to make it a mass appeal. I, I don't think that works. It's just designed by committee. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah. who, who actually wants that? Like, so in theory, some fans do want this and that's where I'll push back a little bit, especially about the phrase faithful mm-hmm. to the source material. Uh, I don't think that James Gunn, uh, hates or misunderstands the material, but when you're dealing with a sprawling comic universe, you can pick and choose what you like and then say, I'm being faithful to the source material. Uh, James Gunn could make a movie, uh, about Superman. Uh, in which, you know, Jimmy Olsen turns into a 30 foot green troll and then Superman, who's been turned into rainbow Superman by rainbow kryptonite, uh, <laughs> punches Jimmy Olsen so hard he turns into a gorilla. And then Superman goes and spanks Lois Lane for being a bad woman. That's Is this all, a real? That would be, episode, no, that would be uh, all. That, that's all tropes from old comic, old Superman comic <laughs> books, because comic books ha- go in and out of their zany phase just yeah. recently. There was a I, I think it was an Elseworld where the Joker gets pregnant. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And and that, I mean, that's not Mm. okay. So if I make a movie about that, am I not faithful to the source material? Well, that's a good point. It depends on where you're looking, but 
we don't need that. We don't need zany, young, low-budget Superman. Um, I, the core group of the, most of the fans, the active fans who actually buy the merch and talk about the movies and do podcasts and fan art and cosplays, they were into the Snyderverse. If they weren't before, they certainly are now. And the Snyderverse meaning Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Zack Snyder's Justice League, as well as Wonder Woman, as well as a uh, David Ayer cut, the original director cut of the original Suicide Squad movie that we haven't seen. That's all Snyderverse, plus whatever they were going to make. Other stuff is kind of related. The Aquaman movie, maybe Shazam, some of this other stuff, uh, but that was done without the director's involvement. Wonder Woman 84, like, not involved. Uh, any of the energy for those movies was trickling off because they were kind of set in the same continuity, but going their own way, and fans could tell, okay, maybe you're, maybe you're being faithful to other comic source material, but you're not being faithful to the timeline and the aesthetic uh, and the thematic depth that you have previously established. And so you can see there's actually graph upon graph upon graph that fans have put together showing the uh, earnings for the box office going down, 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 the further you get from those original uh, Zack Snyder directed or associated movies, uh, probably ending with Wonder Woman, uh, the first Wonder Woman film in 2017. Uh, they keep chasing after that Marvel audience, it seems, but DC is different from Marvel. There's a lot more uh, popular awareness, for example, of DC's graphic novels, which may or may not be set in the comics continuity. Okay. So you can make a story where, you know, like an aged Superman is fighting for the U.S. government and an aged Batman is more of this, uh, you know, anarchist revolutionary. And that's Frank Miller's uh, The Dark Knight Returns. And you can make a version of that and say, well, that's comic faithful. And then someone can come along and say, no, Batman's supposed to have blue underpants that, and have a bunch of family members. That's comic faithful. They're all comic faithful. But you got to pick a timeline and an aesthetic and stick with it. Uh, James Gunn's aesthetic is more of the, um, well, let's let him speak it in his own words real quick here as we start to wrap up, right? James Gunn loves superheroes. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't. Here's what he says. Listen to why. And compare that maybe, Zach, with the uh, She-Hulk ending. James Gunn says, quote, I love superheroes. I also think they're the dumbest things that have ever existed. I have no happier times in my life than lying in my bed when I was 12 and reading comic books. I don't think life got much better than that. And yet the fact that we take these things seriously as adults is ridiculous because people really would look at you like they look at Peacemaker. That's James Gunn's character in a low budget TV show. When he walks into Finnell Fields wearing a costume, what's wrong with you? You think that's cool? You're a maniac. The idea that superheroes are maniacs is something I like very much. End quote. Uh, you can see more of that in my article, uh, which I published in December, trying to work through this stuff. Superhero tales are turning into death works. And I, I would label what James Gunn has done, with the exception of the first and half of the second Guardians of the Galaxy, as a death work. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's cynical. There's a lot of people dying for comic relief. Uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy has a lot of heart, probably a due, um, I'm guessing entirely or a bunch to the other screenwriter for that movie, Nicole Perlman, uh, who's been forgotten. Uh, the second one was just dreadful. It, it tasted like the lukewarm pancakes I had <laughs> the afternoon before we saw it. Uh, and then they get better in Infinity War because there's other people writing for them. And then I don't know what volume three is going to do. But James Gunn's DC stuff is terrible. Uh, he may like it. Some fans may like it, but it's all for the purpose of deconstructing and treating them like maniacs. Uh, I don't care if he wants to try something new and not treat Superman like a maniac and go as earnest as he can. I think it's very clear here in this quote. This is who he is. This is how he looks at it. So as a result, keep that man at the margins. Do not put him in charge of the studio. It's, uh, it's pretty terrible. Um, we got time yeah. for a couple of quotes here, Zach, in response to my article. 
Yeah, I'll just say I, I think you hit the right word is cynicism, and yeah, you know, that I is definitely the spirit of the, the hero age, we deserve, but not the one we need. <laughs> yeah, and th- that's certainly very true of a lot of people nowadays. But I think the success of Top Gun Maverick and Avatar: The Way of Water, which were neither of which were cynical. Oh wow! Uh, th- there's things mm-hmm. I could disagree with on both, but Avatar uh, Two was very much about the traditional family. What surprise. That's what I've seen. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. In that way, they're based, even if yeah. they're nature worshipers. And yeah, it's, again, there's a lot of other weird things about it, but it was very much about protecting one's family, uh, heroism, self-sacrifice, a lot of just really wholesome themes in it. Not cynical at all. And uh, I, it's performing well because ultimately people want non-cynical stories. Yeah, and that's that's how I view the the Snyder films. There's not an ounce of cynicism in them. There's not an ounce of self-awareness. There's no winking to the camera, which, by the way, critics probably don't like because they want a superhero movie to wink at the camera and let them know that they know it's ridiculous. Uh, and that's why a lot of critics, by the way, liked the original Superman 78. It played it both ways, almost by accident. I think Richard Donner didn't mean to do this, but... Some critics, especially Roger Ebert, could say, oh, like this story isn't taking itself seriously. Here's a guy flying around in his pajamas. Like, it's pretty ridiculous. It's very well done. He liked it. But he felt like Christopher Reeve was winking to the camera. Uh, Christopher Reeve himself didn't want to keep doing that. He wanted to do some earnest stories. He didn't want to be the klutzy Clark Kent bumbling around for the comic value of it all. And half of those movies, by the way, are stupid. Nobody wants to talk about it. But Superman 3 and 4 are terrible. So can we just put to death this Christopher Reeve nostalgia. Like you will never get Superman Uh-oh. to grow. Uh, you're, you're stepping on us. my toes now. Yeah. That was well, my, no, I loved him growing I up. I love him too, growing up too. But <laughs> the first Superman movie is, is great. Of course it's classic for a reason. I say it's a reason because it's earned. It's a classic because it's earnest. Earnest. Yeah. Uh, the critics thought because it was silly and goofy and high budget and it pleased the masses. And so like, yeah, let's have more of these. The second one was okay, but the, the Richard Donner cut is even better. Uh, I could go on at length about that, but movies three and four are terrible. They're low budget. Uh, it's probably suffering for the same kind of stupid executive reasons that the Superman's suffering now. Anyway, I'm not the only one who feels about this. Uh, fans are fighting now. Like, fine, if if DC wants to have its cartoon verse under James Gunn, where it's just all gorillas and fart jokes, fine, whatever. Uh, but at least sell Zack Snyder's Justice League to Netflix, where director Zack Snyder is now making a space movie called Rebel Moon. New franchise might be great, might be not. I don't know. I'm optimistic. Anyway, sell it to Netflix. At least get some money into your dumb studio, and then maybe you can do things right. A lot of fans don't agree with me. A lot of fans do agree. Like uh, Paul Regnier seems to agree. He he responded. He's a uh, sci-fi author himself. He responded to my article and said, quote, the reconstruction of Superman you talked about reminded me of the path Captain America took in the Marvel Universe. They may have experienced some disillusion of their original outlook on things, but their noble drive only became more sharpened because of it. The current Marvel path is pretty disappointing as well. After watching Thor Love and Thunder, I can't imagine spending another dime on a Thor sequel. End quote. I didn't even talk about the Marvel movies uh, that didn't do as well last year. Like Some of them did pretty well, like the Doctor Strange one. I didn't see any of those. I certainly didn't see Thor Love and Thunder. Um, It's just a bunch of that. It's just the cynicism is overtaking it. And Thor worked because he started out with an earnest foundation, even though Kenneth Branagh was having some fun. Uh, but uh, Iron Man worked. The, the the earnestness was there. He was cool and all that. And so everybody felt like they were doing something cool. And I think that made Marvel kind of instant cool with their bad boy vibe they started out with. Uh, but 
Superman isn't meant to be cool. You know, he's, he's a different kind of hero. And I think that doesn't appeal to a lot of comic book fans or superhero fans that would like to be instantly cool and popular. And that's why DC has a, a little bit of a, more of a way to go. Uh, another uh, respondent to the article, uh, Andrew Trauger, also remarked, quote, it's also yet another display of a profound lack of originality. Few movies or TV shows are portraying truly original content, preferring instead to milk a formula to its better end and well beyond. While woke ideology, political correctness, and another word he uses, and another anti-life themes are seeping into the subtext and sometimes the actual text, most of these shows garner a big fat meh from me, zero stars for retelling Superman all over again. End quote. I have a note here telling myself not to rant too much. I think I just disobeyed it. Um, I want stories, Zach, and faithful listeners, I want stories that support life, that endorse humanity and its complexity. Uh, Batman v Superman and the other movies uh, are that to me. I, I think maybe people didn't know what to expect. I think, Zach, they didn't expect Batman v Superman to be a political thriller before it was a superhero actioner. I love political thrillers like that, and political thrillers with superheroes are even better. And then Zack Snyder's Justice League was basically the Lord of the Rings with superheroes, and I'd like some more of those, please. Thank you very much. We were going to get a dystopian with superheroes and all kinds of other genre mashups. Genuinely creative and innovative and epic, um, but that whole future seems to be in jeopardy. Uh, I just hope that fans can rally and maybe get all they want, but it's probably a very hard sell for a nearly bankrupt studio. Uh, and then others are not doing well either. That's cause for some grief. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm kind of, can you tell Zach, I'm kind of still in the anger stage of grief and a little bargaining maybe. But it worked before with uh, releasing the Snyder Cut of Justice League. And I hope for all of the fandoms represented here, Go out and say what you actually want. Like, don't just consume. Don't just support the current thing. Like, support the stories that you love, the earnest stories that help make you a better person. And then as a Christian, support those earnest stories that make you help, help you be more like Jesus and to help you see reflections of Jesus in our world. They help you to see reflections of the type of human person you're supposed to be in Christ. Uh, don't just support stories that make you feel distracted or entertained for a little bit. Like, go find stories that are truly good true and beautiful and that may be at last all i have to say about that well over at the comm station we've got several comments on instagram answering our question what books did you give or receive for christmas and the first one is from hc mahallen who says uh, she got winter white and wicked by shannon ditmore and gave it to her older brother and then danielle faith said she got the girl who could see by kara swanson and that is a book I actually read uh, about five years ago when I met the author. Really fun book, uh, excellent cover, really interesting story, uh, very dreamlike uh, in every sense. And so I, I recommend that one. That was fun. And uh, so we'd love to hear from you, our listener. What do you think about these fandoms that we've mentioned? Uh, are any of them you're still holding out hope for? Have you abandoned them? Have you found a new fandom? Uh, maybe a spinoff or a lookalike from one of the ones we mentioned. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com or comment on this episode on the show page or on social media. We've had a lot of uh, fun discussing some of these fandoms. Uh, we've opened up a new media room section in the Lorehaven Guild, which is our uh, exclusive Discord community. Uh, we also have a behind the scenes uh, section for the podcast. There's a whole virtual studio in there. 
where we talk about these episodes among the community of heroes at the Lorehaven Guild, which you can uh, join for free by signing up at uh, lorehaven.com. Just look for the subscribe box. You can enter your email address there, and then we send you the exclusive invitation code, uh, which leads me to our Lorehaven mission update, uh, especially after the Christmas break. Uh, We took some time to reset, clean some stuff up in the guild, and then on Monday, January the 9th, uh, we have started our new book quest. There's a new monthly book quest every month at the Lorehaven Guild. This one is for C.S. Lewis's second Chronicle of Narnia, Prince Caspian. So this time last year, we did The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, let's do Prince Caspian. I'm leading that myself, actually. Uh, 15 chapters, I think. So we'll take about three weeks, one chapter a week, uh, going through the Return to Narnia, direct sequel there. Really great story. Lots of martial imagery, uh, lots of discussion about restoration, and then some kind of weird stuff with some Greek gods who show up and start prancing around all over the place. What hath this to do with Jesus Christ? Uh, it's an answer that we hope to find there in the Lorehaven Guild. Uh, at the site, we've also just reviewed the upcoming pirate fantasy book you heard about at the top of this show way back there, Silver Bounty uh, by uh, Victoria McCombs. That's uh, the book two from Enclave. We've got our review there. Find that link in our show notes. And then uh, this Friday, we're planning to have a retro review of, why not, uh, Prince Caspian. I realize we don't have any Narnia book reviews on the site, so that may be something we can address fairly quickly because we've all read them. That's what we're planning anyway. As of this recording, uh, we do new reviews every Friday. You can get those as part of your email subscription and watch for more articles as our team of uh, staff creators uh, returns aboard ship uh, at Lorehaven. All those updates at lorehaven.com, including the podcast episodes every Tuesday. Next on Fantastical Truth, long ago, before there was C.S. Lewis, before there was J.R.R. Tolkien, and before there was even George MacDonald or G.K. Chesterton, there was another fantasy writer, the British poet Edmund Spencer. In the 1590s, his poem was published in six books. It is an epic fantasy allegory written in nine-line stanzas, and that involves phrases I looked up like iambic parameter and other incredible English major facts that we need explained to us by an actual literature expert. So we're going to get one. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Rebecca K. Reynolds. She is a classic literature educator and an audiobook narrator and an editorial director for Oasis Family Media. She will introduce us to this uh, new fundraiser for a project from that publisher, the long-forgotten classic now returned to life in beautifully illustrated form, The Fairy Queen. Meanwhile, perhaps you are grieving like me a fandom. Perhaps you could rant on for maybe half an hour about the idiocies of Studio X or streaming service Y. Perhaps you've done so, but perhaps you're hoping to find some healing. It may not be for a while. I would just urge us all to take this seriously. I felt kind of silly thinking this way over the holidays, but then my wife kept encouraging me. No, stories are valuable. Uh, stories help change us, and it is painful to see them being taken away from us by creators who seem not to understand them or who blow through the budget on other things. That's worth grieving about. It's worth talking about, but let's try not to stay there. We know that we live in the true life story that Jesus will finish perfectly. He's not going to run out of money. He's not going to misunderstand his own source material. We can take confidence that he will finish his story true and wonderfully as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.